Welcome to the Let's Talk Autism podcast. I'm Misha Davy, and this is my co-host. Hi everyone, it's Christelle here. Hello, Christelle. Hi. <laughs> Sounding very, very flat there, Christelle. Well, never I am mind. Very you flat. can you I can am take flat. I've got a sore throat. Oh dear. Oh dearie, dearie me. Here's me with the oh. violin. This is a podcast, love. <laughs> and <laughs> luckily, so mean. So all your mean, all your yeah. negative vibes that you're bringing oh, to the table, God. it doesn't matter because we've got Andy here. Hello, Andy. Hi, Andy. Hello. Hello. Andy, please tell me that you're the positive component in this. Your team, <laughs> your team positivity with me. I'm making no promises. Yeah, I'm. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting bullied here, Andy. <laughs> oh dear so Andy you reached out we put out a couple of things on our Instagram just saying hey hey if you this is you if this is you if this is you shout us and you responded to our little sticky note that said we're looking for people that self-diagnose and you said you fit the bill yeah that's me so um yeah just over a year ago uh my uh my little journey started um So I was diagnosed with dyspraxia about 30 odd years ago, back before they even called it dyspraxia, back when they were still calling it clumsy child syndrome. Um, Was that actually the name of it? Yeah, that was the politically incorrect uh, 1980s. Clumsy child syndrome. That is what dyspraxia was used to be called. Yep. That's insane. And what does that what does that look like? Because, you know, Andy, I know we're talking about self-diagnosis, but just rewind that back. Right. Okay, because. So many people come on and say they've got dyspraxia. No offence to our past guests. It's always usually because there's something else. Like uh, when we were speaking to Lizzie, she had dyspraxia and ADHD. So we focus on the ADHD. And there was another sort of family that come on and there was something else and dyspraxia. But dyspraxia was kind of like the one we d- wasn't focused on again. Can you tell us <laughs> about dyspraxia or what it was known? Was it clumsy child syndrome? Clumsy child syndrome, yeah. Um, so... It's sort of different for everybody, but for me, uh, my balance is, there isn't any. Coordination is awful. My handwriting is, I get told it's like doctor's handwriting all the time, but there's all sorts of things. So you'll never see me run for a bus because it's just like, sort of like the everywhere, everything's everywhere. It's the, the signals from your brain just, just don't translate very well sometimes. So if I run, it's like a, a arms and legs everywhere, flappy sort of mess. Um, if I was to go on public transport, I'd fall, I'd fall if like the bus or train or whatever uh, suddenly started like breaking or something, then I'd, I'd end up falling and I have done many times. Uh, around the house, I walk into things. I walk into door frames a lot and things like that. Um, escalators are completely out. So you take me to a shopping centre, I'm in the lift. And, yeah. <laughs> and it's a case of like, people will give me like really dirty looks because I don't look like I need to be there. But, you know, obviously if I go near an escalator, I'll fall and probably really badly injure myself. And then going up and downstairs, I'm quite a bit slower than everyone else. And I'm grabbing the handrails and stuff, but it can be completely different for everybody. So mm. some people can ride a bike where I can't. And, and it, it's it's a whole... A whole thing of so many different parts to it but being diagnosed so long ago it was so little known and I was only about five or something when I was diagnosed mm. so, so is it safe is it safe to say that you wasn't a PE fanatic I hated it absolutely <laughs> hated it and the thing is my high school didn't know so I would get reports sent home saying that I didn't try in PE and it's like 
I've done more than enough trying. I turned up. Yeah. <laughs> I, could, I could quite easily have just made excuses or skipped school or whatever. Mm. But I thought, no, I'm going to make a point and I'm going to try. And I still get all like the really bad reports and stuff. So it just, it was just horrible. So did they never like sort of adapt? As you know, like nowadays, if someone, say like if a child come into my class as a teacher and they said, oh, you know, we've got this child uh, dyspraxic, like then obviously I would have a whole sort of plan and things to put in place for that child. Is was there nothing, even though you had this diagnosis as a as a small child, was there nothing through your school days that that helped you with that? In primary school there was, but in high school that all ended. So I don't even know if my primary if my high school even knew. So it was it was either that That's they didn't know. It. It's either they didn't know or they didn't care. Well, things were very different in the 90s. Yeah. So. <laughs> And what did that look like in primary school, though? What did the support look like in primary school? From what I remember of it, um, there was actually a, a teacher that a few of us would have like um, sort of sessions with, and we'd do all sorts of different things, sort of depending on what we had. So all, all like the, the kind of as horrible as it sounds, special needs kids, as they called it. Uh, yeah, there's, there's a, some horrible terms from back then, but we all sort of we'd all go off and do like various things, and I remember like when I was really small, like preschool age, like going to the hospital and having like set what were sessions, uh, sort of like physio type sessions and stuff. I don't remember a great deal because of how small I was, but it was like little games you'd play and stuff like that. It was, I said, the mm. memories are very, 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 very hazy. Yeah. Uh, you said, um, you said you was very young, but from what you can kind of remember, yeah. Was it helpful? Was it something that you looked forward yeah. to doing? Yeah, yeah. It was. It was the way that well, my mum used to take me up, and the way she used to kind of uh, put it to me was that we were going to go and and play at this at this place, and it just happened to be it was like a, I think it was like a physio department of a hospital or something. Yeah, and it but it was just like you know my mum would be like, oh, we're going to go and play with so and so, whoever it was that I was going to see, because you know at least at that sort of age I could understand it and I'd. I'd almost look forward to it. And did you know in class with mm. dyspraxia, but do you know with your handwriting and things like that, that was difficult. Was that painful to write or just really hard? It would be a case of it would just be really scruffy. Yeah. And no matter what. Like legible or not legible? Illegible. Yeah, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was legible, <laughs> but it was a case of the other kids had neater handwriting than me. Yeah. But, you know, I've, I've never had, in my eyes, I've never had particularly neat handwriting. I can just about read. I can just about read it. I, it used yeah. to be better when I was younger, but I don't sit and write much anymore. And it was it was fine. It was I certainly thought there was nothing wrong with it, but um, it was just one of those things where it was always something that was brought up. And I was just I remember looking at my writing and then reading my school reports, looking at the teacher's handwriting, and thinking I can read mine more than I can read yours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But did you have like the ideas there? Like your sort of content was good, but the handwriting was the thing that the teachers sort of seemed to pick up on. Yeah, it was always that my handwriting held me back and stuff like that. And it was just, it was frustrating by the end because it was the case of, I was thinking, yeah, I've got exams and this, that, the other. And I thought, well, the exams are what I'm working towards because that's what everyone's working towards. And it just felt like they were kind of picking on something that wasn't really wasn't really a priority and did that affect you like sort of thing as you approach exams like self-esteem wise how did that affect you knowing like kind of like you were kind of getting written off Hmm. for something even though you had the answers there it was it was just like another thing because I was bullied a lot in school as well so right from primary school right through I was bullied so it was just like another thing it was like you know 
I'd get bullied all the time. So that made me feel rubbish. Then I'd have sort of like the PE lessons where I'd get really bad reports for, you know, saying I wasn't trying with stuff, even though I was. And that would make me feel awful. And then mm. this, but it was just one thing on top of another. And you know how you said about your handwriting? Was it blatantly obvious to you that your handwriting was not as good as your other classmates? It wasn't a huge difference. So yeah. it was a case of, you know, some people had like really ultra neat handwriting. Mine was a bit mm. sort of scruffy, but nothing major. Mm. Um, but it was, it felt honestly like uh, it was just a, a a kind of a mountain being made out of a molehill almost yeah and also with typing i don't know if you did much typing back then but did it affect typing as well or was that a breeze they had those That's huge it. computers back in the 90s don't you remember Crystal? <laughs> you must be about <laughs> the same age as us andy i think so there's like these computers weren't they? it was about that long like that deep <laughs> <laughs> well um one of the things that i did sort of in primary school with the classes was uh, was typing on a typewriter so when it came to like computers and stuff we'd always sort of had computers at home and it was a case of when when it was like oh you need to type something great <laughs> I, was, I was i was right there so i would go off to college and we'd have to write these huge reports and stuff like 30 40 page reports about stuff yeah. and I, I i'd be loving it because it's like i don't have to write anything and i could just yeah. type everything and it's it's encouraged and yeah. It was a case of, you know, the tables were turned. You know, I had my, yeah. my, my strong suit there. Yeah, so it was a bit of a relief. Oh, definitely, definitely. Okay. So that was 30-odd years ago, you said? Yeah, so... Um, yeah, but now we've come, like, going back, going forward now, and self-diagnosis of autism. How did that all come around? Well, it was weird because... I didn't know anything about dyspraxia at all until sort of my mid to late thirties and the opportunity came up to do a presentation on it. So I thought, right, this is my chance. I'm going to find out all about dyspraxia. We'll learn everything I can. And I would, re I read all sorts on the internet. I read books written by people with dyspraxia and I was learning so much about it. And I came to do this presentation and there was a bit that I'd found out about this link to autism. So I did this presentation and I was like, yeah, there's a link to autism, but I've not got, but I'm not autistic. And then there's a bit of doubt. I'm not autistic, am I? And I did a test, did one of the, the kind of official tests as such. What was the thing that made you think, hmm, actually? <laughs> well, I, I said, I did the test and it came up really high probability. And I thought, oh, this is just a coincidence. So I read up on it and, I, and things started to fall into place. So I did another test. This is a few different official ones. And every single one I was getting really like kind of the average score for autistic people. So, you know, the more this was happening, the more research I was doing and the more research I was doing, the more things were resonating. And it got to the point where it's like, I can't ignore this anymore. <laughs> There's something there. There's something major there. And it was just like, there was too many kind of light bulb moments. It was just one after another. And the more I spoke to autistic people, the more I thought, this is, this is too much of a, this is too much of a coincidence, too much of a link this. And I found myself kind of looking into everything about it. And I ended up at this kind of crossroads almost. And I booked in to see a, a therapist. I go to some specialist therapist. I went to see her 
And as part of going to see her, she asked me to, to put all this information together as to what had already happened and what was what made me think that I had autism. So I made a list of, of traits that resonated with me. It was about a page and a half of A4. And I had all my test scores that I'd saved and I'd put in, in, in this in this document. I thought, yeah, I can't really, yeah, I can't really deny this, can I? And did you only do the self-diagnosis or did you go down a professional route as well? Uh, so the, the therapist was the only professional I saw because I, I, I looked into sort of the official routes, kind of going to a GP and everything. And I don't even have like a GP as such. I have, it's one of these where you're a patient at the surgery. So if you book in with a GP, you don't know who you're getting until you get there. So I didn't have anyone on that side I could really speak to. Mm-hmm. And then I looked into the, the private diagnosis side and it was running into thousands. And I thought, I can't afford this. As much as I want to do it, I can't afford it. So yeah. it was a case of it was, it was, the decision was pretty much made for me. Yeah. And then when I looked into sort of going through the NHS, um, I was hearing like, oh, it's three years, four years. Wow. Thought, in that time, I can get, I can get to a point where I, I understand myself because yeah. I'm not going off trying to find adjustments or anything. I don't need any anyone to adjust things for me. I just yeah, need to be okay with myself. Yeah, I was going to yeah. ask, how does the self-diagnosis help you in your life? It's it's almost sort of easing up on myself and sort of understanding that if I can't do something or I don't like a situation or something, or something's going on in my mind, there's a reason for it. It's not just you know, my brain being weird, it's this whole situation has got a name, this whole part of who I am has got a name. And it's something where I can say, right, okay, well, the reason I feel like this is because of this rather than because of, I don't know. And it's turning, I don't know, into something with a name and that I can understand and I can get to grips with. Yeah. And did you, how do you, is there any, I don't know. I suppose uh, like they sort of describe it as imposter syndrome. Do you ever sort of think, because I know I had this with my son, actually when he got diagnosed, because so many people sort of told me like, oh, oh, it's just for your teacher. Like you just got your teacher's hat on and things like that. And I was like, no, I know there's something. And then all through up until his actual diagnosis, I was kind of like, I knew he was autistic, but I was doubting myself. And it was like an imposter syndrome. Do you know what I mean? Thinking, what if I've got it wrong? Like, do you feel that ever? Yeah, it was a lot worse before I went to therapy. The therapy sessions were really taught to to kind of put things in perspective and help me to to sort of ease up on myself. Uh, I still get it, but nowhere near as bad. Um, But it's something that's always going to be there. I think even if I got a diagnosis, it wouldn't go away because that is just how how my brain is and that's just how it how it responds to things. I think it's always going to be there, but it's just sort of easing up on myself. Just that's the only thing I can do. Yeah. Is there anything new you put in, have put in place since self-diagnosing and kind of going on this journey? Is there anything new that actually, because I mean, the internet and social media is is an amazing thing. There's so many sort of tips and things like that. Even even if you had anxiety or depression or sort of mental health issues, it's a a good place for learning, isn't it? Places like Instagram. Is there anything you've kind of picked up or sort of connections you've made that have have helped with your your journey? Um, I've found so many people on social media that 
understand and stuff like that. And sometimes just knowing that there's somebody else there that goes through the same things is a really sort of useful thing to do. And obviously I found yourselves and and things like that. So it's just little things sort of knowing that I'm not on my own and it's not just me that feels like this. Um, that helps me as much as anything else possibly could because, yeah. you know, when, when you feel like, you know, you're struggling to go through something and you feel like it's just you and you feel almost like you're making a big deal or something, just to know that somebody else is in the same boat and is talking about it and sort of is going through it. Mm-hmm. And that it's not just you on your own that's that's a huge thing yeah and how do the people closer to you feel like your family and friends have they responded to your self-diagnosis my family don't know my wife knows but my family don't know and very few friends do so you've not gone public you haven't said this is something you keep private to yourself and you've dealt with uh, but you don't sort of say you wouldn't say if somebody asks you just say yeah I'm an autistic person um it's one of those where i want to but that's sort of further down the line so there's a few people that know but not massively but sort of going forward it is something i want to do where i want to sort of open up about it and and be more sort of open with people but it's it's something that takes takes a while to do so it's not just going to be a case of i'm going to wake up tomorrow and everyone in my life's going to know Put it, put it in your bio on, um, yeah, yeah. on Instagram. I was about to say, yeah, maybe just share the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Breaking news. That's the thing. It's like some people can be like really sort of sort of proud and open about it. But for me, it's going to, it's going to be a longer process. But I think it's okay. So everyone's just got to do things their own way. And as you were saying, like, this isn't about kind of, getting a diagnosis and and that sort of like oh like you know that official as you said I thought that was really good what you're saying there about getting this diagnosis that actually for you it's not about waiting on that list and getting a diagnosis because you've accepted that you are autistic and now actually you're on this journey to discover yourself more I thought that was was really good how you put that Andy and something yeah I think a lot of people can relate to yeah I think there's 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 two different types of people there's people who really want to shout from the rooftops about it and kind of go that route and then there's people who just want to say right well this is this is who I am and for some people that's maybe like just sort of knowledge in themselves and they don't want to give it a label and some people want to know for themselves give it a a label as such and then sort of share it slightly more privately and I think I'm definitely in that sort of uh, that sort of group. Yeah and what is your advice for anyone who's maybe considering taking the self-diagnosis route now this is your ox andy moment what what how would you how would you encourage them to to do so i think to be honest you need to bear in mind that things have moved on so much in just a handful of years i mean it's it's a case of i know some people don't like the idea of a label and stuff like that but you've got to think of yourself and what's going to make you be, you know, you feel better. And no matter what that looks like, you've got to be selfish. And, you know, it's the only, it's probably the only time in your life that you're going to do that. You're going to be completely selfish and think exactly what works for you. So, you know, there's going to be a hell of a lot of thought to it. There's a hell of a lot of research and whatever you do, don't underestimate that. But if it's the thing that's right for you, 
and you've you've got to just you just got to bite you just got to bite the bullet and just say this yeah. is who I am and this is my way of doing things yeah and yeah. just this is me yeah exactly yeah she's gonna burst into song <laughs> <laughs> I'm not you can't, I won't. she's cheered up she's ready for song <laughs> I was tempted oh but thank you so much Andy honestly yeah that was amazing I, I loved hearing as well about the the clumsy child syndrome <laughs> that blew my mind I can't believe that was what it was originally called but thanks so much Andy is there anywhere that we can find you <laughs> I don't know what to say because this is how I usually end but you don't want to be found <laughs> I'm very kind of incognito um so I I do have like pages and stuff but it's it's mainly a case of I just kind of work on social media I'm not a big kind of social media guy I'm like to observe what's going on and then just yeah. sort of can yeah. go well, back go back well, let's, and... let's let's do a competition who can find andy <laughs> <laughs> let's I see let's see him. how that goes i can find andy i know exactly where to find him <laughs> yeah he's gonna oh, go as some sort of alter ego and come and find andy and win the prize <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh thank you so much andy and please please do come back to us uh let us know how you're getting on yeah. will do thank you, thank you. Bye. Bye. bye bye bye